is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Thank you for tuning into In the Fight with Bo Templin. This week on the podcast, we have the number one contender in the UFC's 135-pound division, the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. He is fighting against Pewter Jan this Saturday, March 6th, for the UFC bantamweight belt. This is a huge matchup, and it was an absolute honor, pleasure to talk with him in the weeks leading up to his big fight. And we talk more, though, than just fighting. We I mean, Obviously, we do talk about the matchup and his, his first chance at a UFC title, but we talk about being an entrepreneur. We talk about partnering with Gary V. We talk about being more than a fighter, being more than just a mixed martial artist. So we have a really good conversation. We talk about what drives him. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, on In the Fight, the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, February 23rd. It is around 12.02 here in San Diego, California. And man, you don't get opportunities like this too often. The, the opportunity, the chance to speak with a man competing for UFC gold next week, the number one contender in the 135-pound division, Aljamain, the Funk Master Sterling. Aljo, thank you so much for the time, man. I, I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. So is this a different camp? Is this mentally different? Is this physically different? Is Are you trying to kind of keep it, yo, I've been here before, you know, I know the ropes, I, I just got to keep, you know, the recipe the same? Well, what's it been like? Uh, it's been similar to the things that I've done before in the past. Uh, the only thing that's changed is the, the state location. Um, here in Vegas right now, I bought a house here. So I split my time here in Vegas and, and, uh, in Long Island, New York. Um, there's a lot going into that. Just like the backstory of like financials and stuff like that. Just being a little more cognizant of my money and being more financially aware to set myself up for my family's future. You know, so, uh, I'm thinking about these things early and I'm just doing the stuff that are going to be most beneficial to me. So I'm just happy I'm in a position to, to do that, you know, so. Uh, good things going to happen and uh, I can't wait. You know, I, everything's been different here. Having the luxury of having the UFC PI for a nutritional standpoint and physical therapy, just having them being able to work on me on a constant daily basis. And uh, those are things that I kind of lacked back home in uh, New York. So it's good to have that. It's good to have that here. Did someone give you a warning about like the financial thing that you mentioned in terms of like living in Vegas, or was this something that you went out and like sought after Was like, yo, am I doing everything I can? Or did you kind of get some guidance from someone older? Uh, I had a little bit of guidance, uh, getting into real estate. You kind of learn some of the tricks and trades and the nuances of taxes, um, how to avoid certain things. And save a little bit more, you know, making your money go a little bit longer. You know, obviously New York is a great place, but um, in terms of how much they taxes, uh, you know, you could, you could do a lot of things with that money. So uh, I kind of look at things like that from two different lenses. You know, obviously you want to make sure the train's not lacking. I have a good training situation here. My team, they're here with me as well. I have about six of my teammates here from Long Island. Uh, they've been with me for about 
three weeks now at this point. So it's the best of both worlds. You know, I got the guys that I'm most comfortable with. I got different coaches out here to work with to give different looks and opinions. And um, at the same time, I'm making gain in a financial standpoint. The UFC PI, do you feel like you're better suited for this weight cut because you've been able to be out there? Like, do you know now that it's going to be an easier weight cut than usual? Or do you not really have a feel yet how it's going to go? I, it's going to be a little more methodical. Um, okay. I have a little bit of experience in cutting weight from my wrestling days in high school, my wrestling mm-hmm. days in college. Uh, and my college degree in physical education, we have to learn some of those stuff and how to cut weight and how to prepare workout programs and stuff like that. So you, you learn a little bit of that in college going through the program at SUNY Cortland. So that helped benefit me a, uh, a lot. And having a PI here is just having more people who are more scientific and more hands-on with the approach. And I, I do think being here has helped me get the weight down a little bit easier in terms of the things that I'm actually putting in my body. I still have my cheat meals here and there. I posted the other day. I had some ice cream. Oh, people were going. We're getting in. We're going to get into the cheat meals. We're going to get into the cheat meals for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, people think I'm crazy. And I say, man, if this sport were to take all that stuff away from me and I couldn't have any type of fun, I don't think I would be doing it, you know? So it comes with the balance. You got to live your life. You got to do things that are making you happy. And obviously the things that are going to give you the most success. And uh, that's the way I kind of try to balance everything out. So I think it's a little bit of a, uh, a system that I have here that I've, that's been working for me for years. You know, I, I haven't missed weight yet, knock on wood. And hopefully I'm not the next tiramisu with uh, Khabib, you know? Oh man, that's great. So the, the banter between, okay. So, Mike Goldberg back in the day said, you're a funny guy with serious skills. Now that was like back in like 14, 15, like, I mean, obviously when Goldberg was doing it. So, and it seems like the banter between you and Jan has been like, it's really unique because both of you guys are willing to have a good time about it. It's still funny as hell, but there's to be like some level of admiration across like the bantamweight on the board, whether you're talking about like Corey or Jan, what is your approach when it comes to like that playful banter in, you know, amongst competitors? Uh, you know, some people respond differently for me. It's, I grew up like that. You know, we, we talk, we talk crap to each other all the time, growing up playing basketball, playing football, yeah. you get into locker room fights, you get into to fights in the cafeteria, people throwing food at you. You're talking crap to them. They're talking crap to you. Um, it's all in good fun for me. At the end of the day, we're going to have a fist fight, whether or not the banter is there or not. So nothing changes. I don't know if it's going to get inside his head a little more, but he seems to be more on the side of, of like me, where we both enjoy having a little bit of um, conversation and poking a little fun of, at our opponents. And I appreciate that. But I, I think at the end of the day, he knows it's a serious match, a serious competition. And I, I feel the same way. So, um, I'm not sleeping on that. You know, I definitely know what I got in front of me in terms of uh, talent, competition, and grit. You know, so he's a he's a tough dude. But at the end of the day, it comes down to it's a fist fight. You know, so it's really it. You, you seem to be really good at kind of like distinguishing noise or outside material with what goes on in the actual cage. You've said that before. Like when it comes to anything, at the end of the day, what matters is going to – what goes down in those 25 minutes is that something you learned over time or what was kind of like your catalyst moment when you realized like 
oh, what he says before the fight doesn't matter. Does that go back to wrestling days? What, when did you kind of learn that lesson? Uh, I really don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I guess just growing up, you know, people talk a lot of crap and then you see people that fall flat on their face and you're like, oh, it was just all talk. And then some people, they're like that. They like to just put on a show. They're, they're gangsmanship, you know? So uh, I, I like that. And I think he, I think he's kind of the same way, to be honest. And um, I don't know if it took me a certain while to kind of figure that out, but it's like I said, at the end of the day, we signed a contract to, to punch each other in the face. So yeah. there's, there's no harm, no foul. At the end of the day, was it was the saying go there's no there's no wrongdoing in love and war so all is fear and love and war something like that yep. this is what this is to me you know i'm not crossing line talking about family or anything um at the end of the day this is between him and i you know his teammates they're not gonna be in the cage with him you know so that's that's the way i feel about it so let's talk about this ben and jerry's thing okay because you're talking to a committed Ben and Jerry's stand right here. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for Ben and Jerry's. Uh, what flavor were you eating that night? Uh, it was actually Baskin Robbins, but it was cookies and cream. Okay. I had one last week that I had just finished. Um, that one was like a caramel swirl, chalk, vanilla caramel swirl with chocolate, something like that. And uh, I finished that one. Then I had this one. I was like, all right, this is going to be the last cheat stuff that I have for the next week. And then I know from there I got to dial it in and, and just be super tight. Okay, so say – just let's have some fun here. Hypothetical. Say you win the title. You go on a nice little win streak as the champ, and the sponsorship starts to roll in a little bit. Ben and Jerry's knocks on the door and says, yo, Aljo – we want to work together a little bit here. We want to make a funk master flavor. What are the ingredients that goes into that Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Uh, definitely vanilla. Okay. Have, I think cookies and cream as well. And uh, not chocolate, I'd say fudge. So it'd be like a caramel, cookies and cream, vanilla, fudge ice cream and i think that's bomb right there <laughs> okay we'll, we'll mark this down for like a year or two down the line after you've won the belt after you've defended a couple times and when they come knocking on the door let's let's remember you know who was spitballing that idea for you early on um so you're rocking the vayner sports shirt and i mean gotta say we love that over here because you know we're a part of the vayner family how's the transition been being part of uh team vayner uh, everything's been great so far. We've um, I've got to talk to Gary V uh, just recently, actually. Uh, him and his brother, we were doing a little conference call and trying to, I guess, get to know each other a little bit better and kind of just talking things out in terms of the relationship and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And um, just getting a little bit more familiar with each other. So that that was everything was all good on that front. Uh, it's been a different transition. Um, but either way, things are things are so good, you know, so things are still working out for me and uh, I'm happy about that. You can't complain when things are going well for you. Well, and you know, you think about the, the connection between the two, you're a content creator yourself. Gary's obviously like the king of content and it does feel like a match made in heaven a little bit, right? Like guys coming to Gary and AJ and saying like, yo, we want to do things outside of just, you know, what goes on in the cage. 
So I'm sure like at some point there's a level of admiration or respect or understanding between the two of you, right? Like if you're going to him saying, yo, I do the podcast, I do breakdowns, blah, 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 stuff like that. No? Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. You know, like you said, Gary Vee's the, he's pretty much the epitome of content creator, you know? So um, we definitely touched on that and some couple of things that I want to do for myself, kind of get the ball rolling and um, being able to learn from him and see some of the stuff that he's doing that's make that's working for him. But some of the, I, some of the things we were talking about and trying to figure out how can we, make this work for me or that work for me. And uh, everything's been good so far. So I, I'm, I'm really happy about the opportunity and uh, them coming into this space to be able to explore this, this realm of possibilities to see where it can go. I think uh, the sky's the limit with, with guys like that at the helm. And I'm just, just waiting to see what happens, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the ride. How's the, uh, how is the podcast going? Are you feeling yourself like getting better over time? Like, how does it feel now compared to when you first started? It's great. Uh, the weekly scraps. I do it usually every week. I didn't do one this week. The weight cut, and I was a little beat up yesterday. Um, I normally put them out Monday mornings, record Monday morning, do the editing myself, put it out Monday morning or Monday afternoon. Uh, but sometimes I get a little hung up with training. So other than that, it's fun just being able to learn how to dissect fights, break things down. And I think when you have that hunger to want to learn and keep growing, keep building on your knowledge, it could only lead to, to good things. And I think it's made me a better fighter, a better coach, and just a better teammate to be able to break down situations and fights and for competition for myself for later on in the future. I was going to ask if you think you've learned anything in actual fighting or in the training room based off of your time as like a commentator or fighter. I had uh, Michael Chiesa on the podcast two weeks ago. And I asked him, yo, you know, now that you've done TV for a little bit, who's a fighter who currently doesn't do TV that you think would be really good? And he mentioned your name. Do you have any interest in kind of trying to break into that mold maybe as the career wraps up? Oh, 100%. I did one thing for Fox when the UFC was back on Fox. After I lost to Brian Caraway, I was supposed to – they signed me up to do that the very next week, and I was supposed to try to, like, promote the title fight between myself and Dominic Cruz – End up losing split decision to Caraway, and they still kept me on. And uh, that was my first time having that experience, but it was good. You know, good learning experience, being able to see the nuances, having the earpiece, letting you know when to wrap up your, your thought process, letting you know when to speak or that type of thing. So it, it's cool and a different dynamic uh, of uh, analyzing the fight, breaking down the fights, the fights that are happening in the moment and things like that. So it's cool. Uh, I definitely could see myself doing that in the future for sure. Are there any uh, like fight content creators that you personally enjoy or you like, you know, try and take like a little bit from like, obviously in fighting, you know, you grow up or really any sports like, oh, I'll take I'll take his leg kick. I'll take his right hand. I'll try and take this. And do you look at other content creators and say, oh, I kind of liked his breakdown or I like the way he talked about this mold. Have you gotten to that depth at all? Uh, not really. When it comes to like taking things from other people or getting inspiration from other guys, I've looked at other podcasts like the small details in terms of like the titling, um, the the thumbnails that they use, the content pictures that they post out or videos and the style of how they're making it and posting it. But in terms of like their breakdowns and stuff like that, I, I think I kind of have my own little swag on how I do my own thing. So uh, the things that they're seeing, they don't see it from the lens that I see it from in terms of experience and actually being a, a, a pro fighter. At, oh. 
yeah, I'm competing for UFC gold next weekend makes your videos a little different than my videos for sure. Um, have you decided, uh, are you going to go with braids over, uh, for the weekend or are you going to let it out or have you decided kind of like the design for the hair? Are you superstitious about that at all? Nah, I wanted to braid it for the last one and then I decided not to because of everything that was happening with the, the black lives matters and all this stuff. And people kept asking me questions. So to kind of show my support and not like it's, it's, it's a kind of a double-edged sword because you see all this information out there and you don't know what to believe. Um, and you can only try to gather as much information as you can to try to formulate your own decision or opinion on everything. And you hear people saying this and that, well, these people are terrorists, this and that. And it's like, it gets a little crazy. And if you start to get, go down the rabbit hole too much of that, it can really beat you up or destroy you in terms of your perspective and view on certain things of what's important to you. So with that in mind, my goal simply was that I want to rock my Afro in, in terms of me just showing my support that I am a black American as well as Jamaican descendant. And I live in the U S and this is, part of me this is who i am this is my culture this is what i want to what i'm about you know so i want to to pay that homage in that sense and uh for this one i think i'm gonna do the same thing for that same reason but also because i think Jan's gonna be looking to throw elbows at the top of my head while i'm shooting in on takedowns so it'd be nice to have a little cushion on top of here <laughs> <laughs> that's great you know denzel washington you're talking about that like that rabbit hole denzel said you know, if you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. And if you don't read it, you're uninformed. And I thought that was like the wisest thing I've ever heard, because right now, like you can read anything and it just, if someone will tell you that it's wrong. And then if you don't read anything, well, then you're not doing your job as like a citizen, as a member of society to stay informed. So kind of a mixed dilemma there for sure. When was the last time you were in Jamaica? After I fought Henry Burrell, that was July 27th. My birthday was July 31st. It's July 31st. And then we went to Jamaica, I think, like four days after that for two weeks. My sister was getting married. And I went down there for an extra, a week earlier so that I could do a bunch of uh, pro bono seminars and stuff like that, just going to different MMA gyms. And it's not a lot of MMA gyms. It's like spaces. And just being they don't really have like mats and cages and things like that. So going there to like the dojos and just being able to spread the knowledge that I do have uh, to them. Are you, I mean, I don't want to say like a celebrity down in Jamaica, but are more people familiar with who you are or like less you think? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think it just depends. You know, I, I really don't know. Cause I, I don't know. MMA's not that big down there. So interesting. Watching it. It's kind of hard to say where it's where it's at from like my perspective, from what I see. I do get a lot of support, but in terms of if I were to go down there and start walking the streets, I don't know how uh, popular I would be in terms of people being able to just spot me like that. You know, coming here to Vegas was like night and day from New York because I got spotted so much more out here than comparison to New York, and really, my entire life. So it's kind of. Kind of crazy, but um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard to really say. Interesting. Have you noticed like an uptick in notoriety or popularity since like you're fighting for the belt now or anything like that? Have you noticed more people coming up like, "Oh, what up, Aljo? How you doing, man?" 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think I definitely gained some ground in popularity for sure. And uh, it's, it's nice to see all the hard work actually paying off, you know. So, um, yeah, I didn't really get into the sports to say, hey, I'm, I'm famous. A lot of people know me. You know, I got into the sport because I want to be the best at something and I want to make a living. And um, I've been able to, to make a living. And uh, I'm almost there, right there. I'm knocking on the door to prove that I'm also the best in the world at something. So I uh, came up short with wrestling. And uh, to be able to do that in this space would be huge for me. So that's that's the next step. And that's really it. You know, I'm, I'm not really focused on the popularity because at the end of the day, fame comes and goes. Um, it's what do you have after that, you know? So right now I'm in the public eye, but it's great. If it's not paying the bills or anything, it, it doesn't really do much for me. But that's that's kind of the way I look at it, more of a, a mature standpoint. And um, that's just where I'm at in life. God damn. Okay. So I have like two different thoughts. One is I feel like in the conversations I have, or like if I'm reading social media or whatever about the fight game, it kind of feels like people don't realize how long you've been fighting in the UFC for some reason. I, I just feel like in a, in a way they don't necessarily give you the credit for being around the block for, you know, over five years now in the company that's to fight at the top level for five plus years is the best of the best. That's really impressive. Do you ever feel like that isn't given enough credit to you? Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know what people think. You know, I used to read social media a lot. Now I just go on. If I see a crazy post, like, like Joe Rogan says, I, you know, I post it, then I ghost it. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I do that a lot now. And, um, if anything, I'm just there to read the comments. You know, I get a lot of entertainment out of reading the comments. <laughs> and yeah, I've been around, I've been in this game for a very long time. Like sometimes I even forget that how long I've been doing this. I've been at this for a while now and cutting weight, you know, ups and downs. I've been ranked in the top five and the top five since my fourth fight with Johnny Eduardo in the UFC. And that was like, that was years ago. That was, 2015 December you know so six years later and uh, I'm still here you know now I'm just you the, finished that fight by guillotine right um yeah by borderline decapitation is what I call it okay okay so perfect dude I was watching that fight like two days ago last night whenever I got the confirmation that you were going to come on I, wa I was watching the fight and I was like whoa 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 that was the fastest tap I've ever seen to a guillotine in my life was that a can you explain that to like the common person why that guillotine was way more wicked than a, another one? Yeah, this one's a little different. I mean, it was there was there was a lot of footwork involved in this fight. You know, I wasn't too trusting of my my hand skills, and um, for right reasons. You know, I I prided myself on being a a smart fighter, not one that gets out there and brawls a lot. So a lot of footwork. I know Johnny Water just knocked out his last opponent, Eddie Wineland. Broke his jaw, and I was like, yeah, I'd rather not take that <laughs> So with that fight going the way that it went, I had to be very cautious. I took my time and was super patient. Not the most exciting until I got the takedowns, and I proceeded to really land some, like, devastating ground and pound. Second round, I picked up on the ground and pound, and then I hit him with a clean right hand, kind of faking him out with the hand going to the body, going to the head. I stung him one, one last time on the chin, I think. He tries to sit up. As he sits up, he puts one hand down. It might have been both. As he puts his hand down, I sneak my hand, my right hand over the head. I get a no, what we call a high elbow guillotine. I get it all the way across his throat, 
I take my left hand, I block his wrist so he can't grab my fingers to pull it off of his chin. I take my left hand, I block, I catch my fingers, I take my left elbow and I wing it over the top and I step over his shoulder. So as I step over his shoulder, I'm legit yanking him and giving him like a, um, what do you call that? Uh, separation with the, uh, like a traction, almost like a traction. But I pull all his body weight up off the ground and in the video, you can actually see like his vertebrae. It was kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, it's a- uh, it's not a constriction. It's not a constriction of like the neck. You're pressing up yeah. against the throat, right? I'm pretty much hanging him by his body weight. That's Jesus, pretty much it. grabbing him by his neck, lock my hands over, stepped over his neck, and I'm blocking him so he can't come up any higher. And I'm yanking him off the ground. So it it was a uh, pretty nasty trope. Nasty trouble. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, I was watching that and I, I knew it was different. I mean, obviously, like, you know, I'm the naked eye, I'm the average common person. So we don't necessarily know the notice those differences, but wow, it was a quick tap and you, and you knew right away that he was gonna tap, I think. Yeah, yeah. Once once I stepped over, I was like, Oh, he's done. This guy, yeah. there's no way this. He couldn't roll through. I was blocking the roll through with when I stepped over with the left with the left leg. And I was sitting down as I pulled up. I was like, this guy, he has nowhere for his head to go. So what's the trick to, like, you look at guys who are primarily grapplers or wrestlers or whatever. What's the key to landing a big blow with the hands being a wrestler or grappler? Because you'll see guys, like, fear the takedown, right? And they put the hands down, like, to try and stuff something or sprawl. And then that's when they get hit. You think about, like, McGregor, Habib, right? Habib kind of like does a quick shoot and then the overhand right comes. What, what's the trick to landing those kind of blows as a wrestler or grappler? I think just the third of the takedown. If you got to get them to respect the takedown, you know, everyone says, Oh, I trained for this. And you start getting in there. Guys are standing on the feet. They're confident. They think they're waiting for the takedown. Then they think they could catch you coming in a couple of level changes. You get them to think high up. They start to cover their face. You go to the body a couple of times. It looks like you're shooting, but you're not. Then you come back up. Eventually, you get them to play that game long enough, you'll, you'll eventually get to the legs. And um, just as long as you finish and get to the side or run the pipe or step the leg out not or come up to a body lock, not just necessarily shooting and leaving your head straight in the middle where you could get caught in the guillotine yourself. So I, I think it just comes with the experience and understanding the grappling positions. And fortunately for me, I've been doing this for quite a while now that I have a good grasp on what I'm doing. Aljo, I really appreciate this time. I got one more question for you. I'll let you go. I know you've got a lot of training, a lot of media to do. I appreciate this more than you would ever know or understand. Like, this isn't, you know, just an interview for me. So, like, talking to champs, talking to the big dogs, this means a lot to me. So, I do want to thank you for the time. Um, if your high school self saw what you're doing right now, you're going to make that walk into the ring compete for UFC gold, what would that high schooler be most proud of? Uh, most proud of, you know, I would say that he's finally proven himself after wanting to prove himself for so long. It's probably what he would say. Do you remember that motivation as a wrestler in high school, wanting to prove yourself? Oh, a thousand percent. 
I came into the wrestling program my sophomore year, so I, I didn't have any combat experience at all other than fighting with my brothers and stuff like that in school, that those little things. But um, sophomore year, the team ended up taking second in the county, which is all of Nassau County, and we lost to the team that was, like, defending champions, like, three times in a row. And this program came from nothing. Like, the, the coach took it over, turned the program around in, like, six years or so. And uh, for me to be a part of that team, all the seniors, all the juniors, they were like so about that life of like, listen, hard work, dedication. I want to be a champion, everything. Everything about being successful was that team. And when I was on that team, to, to be able to even say that I was a part of that was huge. You know, so I always wanted to be the guy who never let anybody down because I was the guy who came in super talented in terms of raw talent. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know how to wrestle. Um, I was just scrappy. I knew how to fight. And uh, I would never quit. And I think they loved that about me. So Coach knew he could always throw me in there in some of those high-level matches. And um, I would come through or at least keep the match close. So going into those matches, you know, knowing that you belong with the big dogs. I, I think even now, like I talked to some of those guys, some of my alumni friends and things like that. And they're, they're super pumped about where I am today, you know, so... It's always nice for me because I still look up to those guys because I felt like they helped build a mindset that was just different for a kid that age. You know, it wasn't just we're competing. It was a family. It was a brotherhood. It was we don't quit. We don't back down. We always make weight. Everything, you know, so it was a lot. That was a that was a, a good team to be a part of. Uh, Aljo, man, that's all I got for you. I really do appreciate the time. Just best of luck over the next, not even up, like up until the fight, you know, best luck with everything, whether it's the media, the diet, the, the weight cut, all of it. I know it can be a lot, but man, when you get in that ring, you're a lot of fun to watch, man. It's, it's going to be a, a fun for everyone. Fun for everyone. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. You guys tune in. UFC one, uh, 259. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Can, um, where, where do you want people to follow you? Subscribe to podcasts, anything? Uh, all my accounts, Funkmaster MMA, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, the weekly scraps. Um, yeah, all that good stuff. God bless. We will be tuning in, my friend. We will be tuning in. All right, take care, champ. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.